It is July 16th, 2019. This is episode two of Rooster Talk. My name is David Newton. Welcome back for the second episode. This is a mini-sode. Something I call mini-sode is a mini-podcast episode. And this is an idea given to me by my producer, Rachel, or better known as my wife, Rachel Newton. And I think it's a great idea she had, and I really appreciate uh, her support with this podcast and her uh, contributions. This is going to be a fun, shorter episode that we're going to do, and we're going to focus on a few different things. So in this episode, we're going to answer some questions that listeners sent out. I appreciate appreciate getting those questions. We're also going to share some stories with you that the listeners sent to me. And we're also going to define a terminology used with hydroplane racing. So get comfortable, sit back, and welcome to Rooster Tail Talk. All right, well, welcome to the second episode of Versatile Talk. As I said in the intro, this is a mini-sode. It's a mini-podcast episode. Uh, man, I've, I really appreciate all the, the positive feedback people have been sending in. I've gotten a lot of emails and private messages um, about people enjoying the podcast and the message I'm sending out there of, uh, of hydroplanes. So I'm, that gives me... Uh, a little bit more drive to, to keep this going and, and put a little bit more of my heart and soul into this. Talking with a lot of friends, I've got a lot of great ideas. Got a lot of ideas for people I want to interview um, coming up here. I've reached out to quite a few drivers. Uh, I'm going to be doing some interviews uh, at the Columbia Cup. I'm going to be doing some interviews later this week and hoping to do some in between Columbia Cup and Seafair as well. So I hope to get um, a lot of content um, to have some great episodes coming up at the end of July here and, and through August um, about the uh, hydroplane circuit right now. And once I get through that, I'll probably shift gears and focus more on the history of the sport and talk to some people who were around um, years ago, decades ago um, in the aspect. Just get some uh, some knowledge and some stories from them. Um, can never hear enough stories around the sport. So anyways, so today I'm just going to break down, do a few things here, uh, get some content out to you, because I've been really anxious to get another episode out, even though I haven't had a chance to interview anyone yet. Um, I do promise I will have an interview for the next episode. It is lined up. I just have to, to wait for that. Um, I know I did promise it for episode two, but I thought this is a pretty good idea to have just a shorter episode every once in a while and to have the opportunity to share some of the stories I got from listeners, um, answer questions, and also to, to, to define something around the sport. So I'm going to start us off with some questions I got from some a few listeners. I got a question early, earlier in the week uh, that asked me, how often will a new podcast be released? So my goal for this is to have a new episode every two weeks, minimum. Um, this is all dependent on my time. Right now, I'm on summer break. I'm not, I don't have to work. Um, I just have to play dad um, during the day. So uh, it gives me a lot of big range of um, things to do. So I, I really plan to get a lot done before I go back to school. 
so I, I know I will make these deadlines and get an episode out every two weeks for you. But I'll try to be very transparent with everyone so they know what to expect and when to expect it. But I would say over the next few weeks, I'll probably will be producing more than uh, one every two weeks because there's so much going on right now with the test session coming up this week and the Columbia Cup and Seafair. Um, yeah, so that's the answer for that question. The second question I got is, will the podcast only be focusing on unlimited hydroplanes? So right now, uh, my main focus is unlimiteds, but I'm not going to stop with unlimiteds. I want to branch out, um, talk to drivers, owners, crew members, um, for people who are associated with other classes of hydroplanes. I, I, um, I'm really intrigued with the, the Grand Prix class, um, and I'm really intrigued with the racing done in Valley Field. Um, I, I've just heard so many positive things about the races and some of the videos and pictures I've seen from that over there. I'm, I think I might make that a goal of mine to, to visit that here the next few years. Um, but I, I really hope to interview anyone who's related to um, hydroplanes, uh, period, but Unlimited is, is my my dream class, so I will be talking a lot about them, but I'll try not to focus just on that so we can get um, other content out there for you guys and gals. Um, all right, so if you have other questions you want to send me, I can answer for you. Please send me an email. Uh, my email is rooshatelltalk at gmail.com. That's R-O-O-S-T-E-R-T-A-I-L-T-A-L-K at gmail.com. Yeah, if you have any questions about uh, the podcast, what to expect, um, questions about hydroplanes you want me to answer on another podcast, please send them my way, and I'll do my best to get the information relayed out to you and out to uh, the world here with this. And if you have any suggestions as well, please please send them my way. I would love to hear um, some suggestions. Uh, I had some great emails um, from a few individuals who had some uh, suggestions of people to interview and a couple I had already planned out but I had a couple that uh, didn't cross my mind yet but uh, really intrigued me so I, I will be pursuing that here um, this year well I'm feeling a bit nostalgic um, I really appreciate the listeners that s- took the time to send in some some memories for me really interesting stuff here some things that were before my time that I wish I could have enjoyed the experience as well, but that's all right. We all have our own experiences and I get to kind of live through your examples and your stories. That's, and that's part of the reason why we have this show so we can get the stories out there and you can feel like it's a little bit a part of yourself as well. So uh, the first person who emailed me um, was my friend Fred Olson from Lake Taps, Washington. Um, and he he uh, emailed me a, a pretty long list of, uh, of memories. He has some great memories growing up around the Seattle area. Uh, and the first one he shared with me was in 1973. He remembers being gra- dropped off at his grandparents' house on the Rainier Beach area. And that seafair, it was really, really cold. Um, it was cloudy and rainy. It was really miserable out there. Uh, his parents went down to watch the races in person, but... Um, didn't feel that it was, uh, it was, uh, okay for him and his brother, John, to brave the weather conditions and it'd be better for them to stay, stay back at the grandparents' house. Uh, and they could see out, out of the window, looking through the Seward Gap, Seward Park Gap, uh, they could see the Rooster Tails 
and they could hear the sounds of the, the Merlins and the Allisons roaring across the lake. Um, he wanted to be there in person so badly, and his brother John did as well. But they, they didn't get to go down, go down that day, but, but they were able to go early, earlier in the week when the weather was a bit better and see some qualifying and testing, uh, which started on Wednesday. Uh, now they have uh, a short session or two on Friday, but they would they would battle it out all week trying to qualify and get that top spot. Then the next year, his second one, uh, the weather was great, uh, but the w- race was moved to Sandpoint, and, but it was the Gold Cup. So it was the big event of the year, and there was a lot of things happening in that race. But unfortunately, the Union 95, which was his favorite boat, blew a hot section. And that was before that they knew they had to put containment blankets around the hot sections uh, to prevent da- further damages. Uh, but it blew a hole in the bottom of the boat, and it sank to the bottom. So he, got, he witnessed his favorite boat basically be destroyed in front of him. And he also witnessed the, the last Miss U.S. catch fire and burn down to the waterline. Um, so there was, there was a lot of events happening that, that day, and it actually went pretty late because of all the uh, carnage and destruction. Uh, and the last one is probably my favorite on his list. It was uh, springtime, 1977. His brother and him were in school, and they, got a, they were surprised when the uh, school got a call from his mom that they had to had to leave and he didn't know what was going on but he uh, his mom came picked him picked his brother John up and as they left they could hear a roar of a hydroplane running across the lake and it was only a mile or so from the lake they knew then what was going on so she took him down to the pits Stan Sayers pits and they got to see for the very first day when it was christened the brand new Atlas van lines, the Blue Blaster, testing on Lake Washington with Bill Muncy. They got to see the very last run. They got to see it on the water. Beautiful brand new boat. And after the run, they got looking around, checking the boat out. Once the boat was on the trailer, Bill Muncy noticed him and his brother. And Bill Muncy came over and gave him a whole tour um, posed for pictures, answered questions about the boat, showed them everything that was new on the boat. They had they got a great picture, um, John on one side, Fred on the other, uh, with Bill Muncy in front of the boat. Uh, and so that that's probably his that was his uh, kind of crown jewel memory of a very special day. And that's that's a cool picture. Hopefully Fred will show me that one day. That's that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I remember those test sessions on Lake Washington. Those were kind of magical days. I saw a lot of fun things down there, people experimenting different things. Um, my dad and mom will let me skip every once in a while uh, to go down and, and see the test sessions. But there was one time they wouldn't let me go down, and I was, I was really mad about it. Um, I had a math test. So they said I had to go to school so I could take the math test, um, even though I had a good grade. But whatever. But it was 2000, and that was the day when uh, Russ Wicks set the propeller driven water record, speed record, with a Miss Free Eye. And I, I really wanted to be down there and, and see it and witness it. And back then, I didn't have a cell phone. Um, 
teachers had computers, but we didn't have laptops or really any access to see, to see what was going on. There's no Facebook. We didn't even have MySpace back then. So we didn't have access to, to see what was going on or hear what was going on. So I was, it was a long day of school for me before I got home and my mom told me what happened because um, she got a phone call from dad. But uh, it was only 19 years ago. I think I let, let that drop by now, but whatever. All right, so the, um, thank you, Fred, for sending those in. That was, that's, those were some pretty fun stories. Um, the next one, um, and I apologize, Mark, if I mispronounce your last name. I am a school teacher, so you'd think I'd be able to pronounce names easily, but uh, I always warn the kids I'm going to mispronounce a few of them. But Matt Demito, De Matt Demito, I'll go with that one, Matt Demito, uh, he sent me a pretty cool story. He was another Seattle kid, uh, grew up in the 60s and made wooden hydroplanes that towed behind his bikes, raced with his friends out in the streets, and uh, he remembers the broadcast, racist broadcast being broadcasted on all three channels, Como, King, and and Cairo. All three channels were out there televising the races, so he, he knew he, he could always catch up on, on the action. Later on, was, as he became an adult in the 70s and 80s, he was a police officer for the city of Kent, which is just south of Seattle, for those not around here. And at that time, uh, Ron Jones, he had a, his own shop at South Central Avenue, and he was cranking out new holes and repairing existing ones all the time. He had a busy shop back then. He was doing a lot of work for a lot of different teams and not just Unlimiteds, but you know other, other classes, five liters and inboards. But Franz Muncy team had their shop up on the north end. And he can remember during the springtime and summer especially making excuses to do extra patrols around the shops and be in the area just in case a police officer was needed. I'm sure there was a lot of people that he had to uh, um, keep an eye on, right? But he would uh, he he would get the chance, get any chance to uh, talk with the crew members about the hulls, what's going on with the team. But he can remember that the, those poor guys putting in a lot of late nights at the shops, and and that's that's true. A lot of there's a lot of late nights with hydroplane racing. Uh, it takes a lot of hours to get these boats out on the water. Most people don't understand how much uh, it really takes to. To get them going, but yeah, there's there's a lot of late nights. So that's really cool. I like that story. I've been around a lot of shops as well. It's funny to to see the uh, quality of the shops. I think the how the shops are set up it reflects the the team in general. You know, there's a lot of shops out there that were pristine, uh, like Budweiser. They were that was the top the top shop, right? Um, they always wanted a floor so clean you could you could eat off of it. Um, and there were some other shops out there that once you walked in the doors, you just wondered how they got the boat on the water. Uh, I'm not going to name names, but whew, there were some rough ones out there. All right, thank you, uh, Mark, for that one. I appreciate your story. Uh, the next story from Chad Pritchard. Now, Chad, he lives in Granite Falls, Washington now, but he was originally from Madison, Indiana. And... As a kid, he was, uh, he was only four months old, but he, when he was four months old, he got to go to his first regatta. That was because his grandparents and parents were volunteers for the regatta at that time. So he, he had good access to the races, and that's a big area for, for racing. So he, he uh, was lucky enough to be brought to the races and have a good experience with that. 
Uh, but his early ex- earliest experiences were of his uh, Miss Madison, his hometown boat. And he, he remembers getting his picture taken with his grandfather in front of the 1971 Miss Madison. And what's special about that was that they had the Gold Cup in Madison that year, and the Miss Madison won the race. Huge victory for the Madison team. Um, and they said that's he still has that picture to this day, and it's his, all, one of his all-time favorite pictures and moments. Then he fast-forwards to 1988, when the uh, Miss Madison had a brand-new hull built for them by uh, Ron Jones. And I believe that was the first hull they had built for the team. I think everyone, every boat before that was purchased as a used boat, but that was their first... Yeah, so that was their first brand-new hull. And he was helping his mother with a public event and a fundraiser so, so everyone could come out and see the boat and raise money for the team. Uh, he said he went to the dentist earlier in the morning, ended up getting sick. Uh, after after he got sick, he said he threw up in the gutter a few times, felt better, and then he proceeded to eat his weight in uh, body weight in hot dogs. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's very memorable, right? <laughs> and I have to admit, I did pretty much the same thing. Uh, with myself in '92, when the Coors Dry had a had a test session on Lake Washington, they had they were giving out free hot dogs to anyone who wanted them, and I ate my body weight in it, and then I proceeded to throw it all up, and I don't think I touched a hot dog for at least ten years after that. Um, but he remembers um, when he was a kid, Chad. He remembers going to the Madison shop while they're working on boats, crawling all over the boat, going through the cockpit, using the escape hatch sitting around the boat and uh, just hanging out with the team. Um, so being around that just really grew his love for the sport and hydroplanes. Um, he said he has so many more memories, uh, but one other one he wanted to bring up was in San Diego when the Madison team won in 1993. Um, they were the Frosted Flakes um, team then. They were sponsored by the Frosted Flakes cereal. And they won from the trailer position that was another big win for the team, and he said they actually had a parade um, after that win, so that's pretty cool to be a part of a parade uh, and see that in your hometown. That's, that's really cool. All right, the last one I'm going to share today um, is from another friend, Matt Sanders. He's from Duval, Washington. Um, he was born in 1964, uh, lived in the Les Shy area, and anytime he heard the sound of thunder, he would head down to the pits, head down to the lake, and see what was going on. Um, he says his lifelong friend Bill McGraw lived not too far from from there and helped him with this, his love of the sport and got him into racing um, RC hydroplanes um, with the cl- club Electric Thunder. That was back in the early early nineties. Um, he went off to join the Air Force and he came back in around two thousand eight and joined another club called Classic Thunder and they race one tenth scale. Um, unlimited hydroplanes are all electric powered, and he's still racing today. Um, in fact, I raced with him uh, just a couple of days ago uh, at the Classic Thunder Gold Cup, so that was fun seeing him there. But from those memories, he says he just has a passion for the sport and, and loves everything about it. Uh, well, I appreciate you sharing your, your stories with me, Matt and Chad, uh, Mark and Fred. Appreciate seeing those. Um, if anyone else has any out there that you want to share with me, please send them my way and Love to hear them and share them out with everyone out there in the hydro world. So as the last part for the mini-sode today, I want to 
do this every once in a while. I want to define a part of the sport of hydroplane racing. Um, for those new people out there who like it, want to know more about it, but maybe uh, are a little timid to ask what what uh, what that's about. And I'm going to start off with a pretty basic concept, uh, Ruchetel. I'm going to talk about Ruchetel. That's in our it's in our name of our podcast, so thought that'd be pretty appropriate to start off with that and define that for everyone out there. And it's not not going to be a big scientific definition that you would find um, in some sort of science book. Um, this is just a uh, it'll get you by. How about that? This will get you by. So a ruchetel basically is the water spray, the white water spray that you see behind the hydroplane as it's traveling at speed. And these boats go really fast. They go upwards of 200 miles an hour down the straightaways. Uh, their rooster tails can be up to 300 feet long. There's a propeller that's traveling um, underneath the hull, rotating, and pushes water out. It creates this beautiful, beautiful spray of water. And it, it can be very, very beautiful. Um, it, it is a beautiful thing. But it's also a dangerous thing. Right, it's it's pushing a lot of water. It pushes tons of water, enormous amount of force, and it can be devastating for another um, racecraft out there on the on the on the course. Um, there's a lot of examples of Rougetails causing damage to other boats um, out there, but the the one I can think of off the top of my head is in 1982 um, at the World Championships in Clear Lake, Texas. Um, they had in the final heat. Um, the 80, 82 Squire was a little bit behind the field going into the first, tor- first turn. And Bob Patterson's U80, uh, I believe it was driven by Ron Armstrong that year, was on the outside, came in on the field and cut off the Squire shop. And it caused a lot of damage, um, mainly to the cockpit area. I, I believe it, it tore off the windshield, tore, tore apart some of the, the cockpit area, the cowling. Um, Tom Dee's visor and... Um, I think it beat him up, beat him up a little bit. Um, cause it's a, it's a ton amount. It's a lot of force and pressure from that water. And they can do damage, um, pretty quickly. And, and you don't think water could do damage like that. Right. But when it's being thrown at you at that speed with that force, it'll, it'll do some good damage. And then skipping forward a few, few years, I just have to think about the bubble bud and Bernie Little and Jeff Neff's contribution to the sport of introducing the uh, canopy and closed cockpit um, for the drivers. And I got a really good test in Syracuse, New York in 85. Um, in another final heat, uh, the bud got cut off in the same similar scenario. It was probably actually a little bit worse, too, because uh, the Budweiser rode up on the rooster tail and hung there for a little bit before it came down successfully, landed. But with that enclosure, Jim Crotfelt was safe from the water. He was still had visibility. He didn't get any injuries. And he went on to, to win that final heat because of uh, the canopy. So maybe if the technology was only a few years earlier, Tommy wouldn't have had um, such a bad outcome. And I, I'm not sure how, inju- how much injury Tom Deeth got from that accident in 82, but I know it was... It wasn't good, to say the least. But also, with rich tails, it can also cause boats to flip. And the latest example of that was last year's Seafair, 2018. Uh, Alberto had lane one. 
on the first lap of the final heat, and they all went to the first turn together. I think they came out about four wide, and as they went down that back stretch, you could see Alberto was falling back little by little, and the field was pulling away from him. And as they got to the corner, the U11 pinched down onto lane one, and the Alberto couldn't hold its lane. It went up the rouge tail, and it, it flipped. It went all the way around to the 360. It landed right side up, but from the force of that flip and that accident, it, it did a lot of damage, and that team's not racing this year because of the damage that was caused at that race. So um, it can be dangerous, that's for sure. Um, but one last thing I want to talk about with rooster tails. A lot of crew members um, you know, have paid attention to the rooster tails over the years um, because... Um, believe it or not, you can actually tell a lot of efficiency um, being produced by the hydroplane by the shape, the height, the length of the rooster tail. It's it's a it's a good tell all. It's a it's a giveaway uh, for some different things with the the hydroplane, um, whether the balance is right, um, some of some of the hydrodynamics is right, the prop efficiency, um, etc. But the the rooster tail can tell if the boat is uh, efficiently pushing the power or if there's a problem with uh, things going on with the boat. So if you go down to Tri-Cities this year or Seafair and you're watching qualifying, just think about that as you watch the rooster tails come off the hydroplanes. And um, I think I've always been told that the the longest and lowest uh, rooster tail is uh, the most efficient out there. Um, so just think about that as you, as you watch the boats, especially in qualifying because that's the best water conditions there. You might, may not get as as much of that in um, racing conditions, but um, yeah, just keep that keep that in mind. So, with this uh, hydro definition uh, and uh, terminology, um, if you have some part of the hydroplane world that you're not sure about, you want you want me to clarify it a little bit more for you, or at least bring you closer to knowing what it is or how it works. Send me an email. Or message me on social on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, or send me an email to roostertailtalk at gmail.com. and I can try and on the next minisode define that for you, um, get give you a better understanding of what that is. It it could be something that I said in this broadcast about maybe the propeller, or if you want to know about something how how something works on the hydroplane. Um, it could be part of the boat itself. It could be part of the racing rules, clarifications, how the starting procedures work. If you have any questions, send them my way, and I'll uh, I'll I'll enlighten um, with what I can um, you about those. Uh, so, but I'd love to hear them. So please send me an email if you got anything. Now, before I end this mini sode, I want to talk about one thing before uh, we got closer to the Tri Cities Columbia Cup. If you haven't checked it out online. Um, there's a, actually a Hydroplane Fantasy Racing League out there. It's called Deck to Deck. It's D-E-C-K, the number two, D-E-C-K. Um, I believe it's .us. And it's a, it's a fantasy league uh, all about Hydroplane Racing. You sign up on there, and you make your picks race by race. Um, so it's a, it's a fun way to play and follow the sport a little bit more and, and just, I don't know, just have a little more fun with the, the racing that's going on. I, I did my picks for the first two races. I chose, I believe, Home Street Bank for the first race and 
uh, Graham trucking for the Gold Cup. I thought they would have a, a little bit better, better showing at the Gold Cup. So I chose those are my picks for the first two races. Um, I'm only about 400 points back from the leader, so I'm not too far off. Um, but it's, it's just it's fun to talk with your friends about and 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 just give you a little bit of uh, more of a taste of the racing season. So check it out. That's my recommendation for the day. All right. Well, that's all I have for this mini-sode. I hope you enjoyed it. I plan to have more of these out in the future. Mainly it will be on listener request for more information about hydroplanes and hydroplane racing. Please let me know you're listening out there. You're enjoying this. Hit that subscribe button on the podcast player or app that you're using. Once you subscribe to the podcast, you'll get notifications on any new episodes we have and are released. Also, don't forget to check us out on social media for updates and hydro news. That's on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I promise, I promise, the next episode we will have an interview. I'm going to be interviewing Jeff Bernard this week, as well as some others. I might be interviewing someone closely related to that racing team as well. So stay tuned for that. I'll also be interviewing people at the Columbia Cup. I'm excited about that. I hope you are as well. So until next time, I hope to see you at the races.